Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The Athletic. I'm Flo Lloyd-Hughes. Hello, I'm Dan. I'm not that Dan. He's off sick, but uh, my name's Dan Barnes. I'm an editor from The Athletic and I'm standing in today for our usual co-host, Dan Bardell. And this is The Athletic Football Podcast. Every Wednesday, we pick out one article from all the brilliant writing available on The Athletic and put the authors under the spotlight. Today, we're joined by Michael Walker, whose latest article has really piqued our interest. It's called There's Something Going On in Non-League Football. And it talks about the really interesting upward trend in the number of match-going fans turning away from the increasingly detached Premier League and towards their non-league club. And yeah, it feels like the perfect time to uh, to speak about that piece, especially when we're in a week where Newcastle United fans have been chanting, we've got our club back after it was sold to a Saudi-backed consortium. So yeah, hopefully there's a lot to unpack there. Yeah, definitely. Um, and before we chat to Michael, Dan, wondering your thoughts on last night's England game. Um probably not the the result that many would have hoped for and I think Gareth Southgate was very honest in his post-match saying he was pretty disappointed with the performance but they're still looking very comfortable in that group. Yeah it's an interesting existence for England at the moment it feels like drawing with uh, with Hungary even though we have Poland in our group with uh, with uh, Robert Lewandowski one of the best strikers in the world it still doesn't seem like there's much jeopardy in their qualification campaign but I did read that it was their first First home qualifier that they failed to win since 2012 when they drew one all with the Ukraine. Um, it was an interesting game, I think, in the fact that I really feel like it leaves Gareth Southgate at a bit of a crossroads going forward now. Just in the fact that we played an exciting team, the two attacking midfielders with Mason Mount and Phil Foden operating ahead of Declan Rice. And that was kind of forced by the enforced injury to Calvin Phillips. Now going forward, with obviously the Phillips-Rice axis having been so strong there's going to be such a huge temptation to to go back to that. And I, I kind of feel like it leaves Southgate sort of looking, does he does he continue with this sort of new look, free-flowing attack mind in England, or does he go back to the kind of system that was so successful in Euro 2020? Yeah, it does feel like, and I'm hoping it sort of just can be filed under one of those nights, one of those nights where things don't quite go to plan. I think players were looking a little bit leggy and fatigued in the way that they were playing and and hopefully it's something that they won't perhaps dwell on too much but it, it is yeah food for thought because you do need to refresh your team every every so often and you don't want to get found out by opposition for being too stale and sometimes that doesn't always work definitely there has to be there has to be kind of thoughts about evolving. They can't stay the same way and relax on their laurels just because they made it to a, to a Euro 2020 final. Um, going forward, I mean, th- there are things that have changed in this team. There's more prominence for a player, say, like Jack Grealish, who seems to have kind of established himself in that in that front three, um, which it was the kind of thing that many of fans who are ex- sort of excited about Grealish's performances for Aston Villa last season were were kind of 
begging for during the European Championship, it felt. Um, for England, they're not always going to have things all their own way. I think if last night had been a a very routine win, there's a good argument to say that people would have woken up this morning almost surprised that England had played the night before, given just how much of a sort of procession qualification can, campaigns are. I, th- I think the game on the weekend against Andorra was like that because mm. people were saying to me, I can't believe I tuned in for that. And it's like, well, a huge win. Like, Obviously, it wasn't the most entertaining game of football, but I think people feel that way, don't they, regardless, because England tend to have very easy qualification uh, routes to, to major tournaments. That is really hard to get excited about, about these games, regardless of the result. Well, exactly. It just shows kind of the level that England are operating at nowadays. You know, it just the fact that we can be, we are a major nation. We're not a nation that thinks it's a major nation anymore. We are we are a major nation that plays good football and scores lots of goals against against teams. And whilst it might sometimes feel like a, a struggle to to learn something and almost a struggle in the challenge in the sort of the level of challenge that these games present, like it still just shows that things aren't always going to be going England's own way and they are going to have hurdles to overcome. And you know, surely, surely they you know they they'll qualify for Qatar smoothly from here on out. But in terms of how this team evolves, looks to sort of be a team that actually challenges for that World Cup next year. It poses a few questions going forward for the uh, for the upcoming games in November. Yeah, and there is a piece actually up on The Athletic at the moment by Jack Pitbrook all about last night's game. It's called False Start for Southgate's England 3.0 as exciting lineup on paper fails to excite on the pitch. And I'm sure Jack goes into a lot more depth than Dan and I have just done then about <laughs> how it didn't quite come off last night. Uh, but now let's get chatting to Michael Walker about his piece. Michael Walker, reporter for The Athletic, joins us now. Michael, great to have you on The Athletic Football Podcast. Your piece that we're going to be chatting about, the Premier League is a different planet. There's something going on in non-league football. Firstly, tell us a little bit about the piece and what kind of inspired you to write it. Well, the the idea came from just seeing these uh, figures, you know, attendance figures at various grounds, you know, way below the 92 clubs and you know I, I live I live in Newcastle so South Shields is uh, there's something going on at South Shields they've been taken over um, and they're getting um, crowds of over 2,000 in step 7 let me check out it might be step 8 um, but they're um, that kind of um, fervour and I'm also seeing it a, a little bit in the Northern League where I went to my local club um, well it's not my local club it's the club nearest to me um, to watch a, a Northern League game in the second division of, a couple of weeks ago and there were over 400 at it and you're looking at it and thinking that this is there's a level of interest here at this at this standard of football that's that's pretty amazing. And it was to give recognition to that supporter culture at this level, at those levels. Um, and so that was what um, sort of started. The, that was in my head about those attendance figures. And then Grimsby uh, took 1,250 um, to altering them on a Tuesday night, 1,250 fans. Now, that's a long way. That probably takes up 12 hours you know, of, of your day. It's just that kind of commitment is you, you're sort of thinking, that's mad. And the, the other thing that was in my head was that on the opening day of the season, I'd been at a service station on the way back from uh, holiday and there were loads of Bristol Rovers fans there. 
And you see all these Bristol Rovers fans in it in kits that you don't recognise, and you're sort of wondering what's going on. Where where are they going? And it's the only thing in their mind is Bristol Rovers. You know, they're not concerned about the state of the Premier League. They're not concerned about the arrival of Ronaldo. All they're concerned about is Bristol Rovers and how they're going to get on at Salford or wherever it was they were going. I just think it's worthy of recognition. I'm not saying that we're making any kind of great sociological points about it or any, um, there's no kind of one-upmanship. It's just sometimes you need to say, actually, this is pretty amazing that this goes on across the country week in, week out. Yeah, I mean, I certainly know there's something going on at South Shields because they've got Little Mixes Jade Thurwell's an honorary president. So <laughs> that's certainly saying something if you can get someone of that status to uh, to be supporting your club. I just wanted to pick up on what you said. And Dan, I'd be interested in your thoughts on, on this as well, is that, that um, difference you made between the club nearest to you and your local club. What do you mean by that difference? What is that difference to you? Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, that that, that was just because, like, I don't... I would call it my local club if I was um, if I was like a regular support, you know, a regular right, goer. Right. You know, I, I I don't want to sort of claim any kind of ownership of this club. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, I think it's I think it's a really interesting thing to point out though, because Dan, I'm sure, like like myself, are you a sort of fan who will occasionally stop by your local non-league club and check it out and and have a look, but might not not necessarily claim that club as as you know being a fan of. Yeah, no, I think I, I, I understand completely where you're coming from with that. I mean, I think there's these clubs are always they're always keen to get as many people through the doors as they can, and I think they're always keen to sort of display display themselves as kind of an alternative to sort of the glitz and glamour of pre- if you live in an area where there's a Premier League club or even a large football league club. I think there's something about them that's in sort of my experience that they're they're just welcoming usually it feels like a welcoming atmosphere you know depending on where you go you know I've I've been lucky enough to cover a lot of clubs that I would consider local to me just through work in the past but I have also you know I've been on trips to uh trips away just for the kind of just the almost the randomness of it and the and the and the difference from the norm of going to a going to a sort of a non-league club I've been to I've been to watch FC United in Manchester a couple of times and that was just uh, an experience where just the difference of it you know being able to have a pint in the in the stands whilst you watch just the the sort of inclusiveness of it it didn't feel excluded in any way you really just sort of get that feeling with non-league clubs but that but that's not to say I think at the same time to sort of caveat that is it not to say that they're that it's not serious business you know these fans uh, they support those clubs that you know they mean they mean a lot to you they mean a lot to those people sorry but obviously at the same time they're also welcoming and I think it's uh, an experience that you can you know you can dip in and out of you don't have to be the hardcore to rock along to your local non-league club you don't have to sort of have the jacket have the scarf have the hat you know those those experiences are are available on your doorstep and you can be a part of them when you want to be I agree. I, I think it's uh, you're also in danger of that. You have that dangerous thing of saying that somehow non-league is more authentic than going to watch a Premier League match. It's it's not. You know, if you're, you know, if you're a Norwich fan, you know, going to watch Norwich is the is an authentic experience. You just happen to be good enough to be in the Premier League. You know, you know, it wouldn't be any more authentic if they were in League One. You know, so it's I slightly hesitate about that kind of thing. At the same time, I don't like Premier League fans who sort of sneer and who wouldn't even think about on an international break going to their local non-league club. You know, that you know, that kind of thing, you know, because that means that 
their interest is just very narrow and it's not really an interest in football. And I sort of always, I'm just slightly, you just get slightly disappointed in that, you know, like what, why wouldn't you just go and, you know, go and watch a, a, a different match, you know? So, um, yeah, I, I do feel that thing about claiming ownership. You sort of think you have to hesitate on that because you do move around and, you know, and there are there are lots of clubs that you can go to on any given weekend. There's, you know, there's two divisions of the Northern League here, you know, like, and they're, they're, they're established football clubs that have been going for over a hundred years. You know, you know, they, like this is these are important clubs in within their own communities, and um, you should feel able to go and enjoy it without feeling that kind of oh, I'm not, I'm not hardcore. You know, and it was very much like that at Darlington on Saturday, Darlington v Hereford in National League North. And Darlington are the the both clubs are are fan owned. Darlington are eighty percent, and um, Hereford are forty six point six percent fan owned. And that kind of commitment that they and hard work that they have to put in those fans, as well as money, um, is really really admirable. I think you cannot then, whenever you see these people doing this and and just the that amount of effort. You can't then go along and say, "Oh, I'm a Darlington fan," you know, just because you've been to one game. You know, it's you, these people are putting in more effort than you can believe, and that is very much the case with those who travel away. You know, so he, the Hereford um, treasurer um, Tony Taylor said, like he made a very interesting point about, uh, you know, whenever a, a really small club turns up with, you know, thirty fans. That, that they are really um, full of admiration for them because those 30 fans, it's a real effort. You know, it's a real effort to small, to support a small club and travel away. And you, you touched on on those rising figures and those, and those numbers that have really been imp- impressive over the last couple of months. Why do you think there is such a energised desire to go to games when many perhaps nine months ago, thought that non-league clubs were going to go completely out of business because of the pandemic? Well, I think part of it is the response to to the pandemic is that people are just really happy to be out, out in the fresh air, out seeing their friends. Um, out watching the football again, getting back into that routine. Um, Kevin Miles, whenever I spoke to him from the uh, FSA in uh, January for a piece about um, fans possibly getting out of the habit, and he was really concerned about that, you know, that or as an organisation, they were worried that fans might not get back into the habit of going away. But they really have. And I I think it's all, and I didn't make this point very well in in the piece, but I think it's also coincided with Wrexham being taken over, Grimsby being taken over. And these these are two, you know, high profile non-league clubs, former football league clubs. And the same can be said of Stockport County, places that are getting really quite amazing uh, attendances. And then you compare you compare that with some of the clubs who have made their way through non-league into the football league, such as Harrogate Town, who don't have a vast supporter base. I don't think Crawley Town have a vast supporter base, certainly not in the way that Notts County would have. You know, those are two different um, scales of support. The problem for Notts County and Wrexham previously is that they've just been on the decline for such a long time that then they get a boost of a takeover. 
some good leadership, positive leadership, and there's a feel-good factor. And people then come back. It's a, That's really important that people feel that feel-good factor and they join in. And that shows there's always that kind of latent support that is untapped during fallow times. And sometimes the fallow times go on for decades, but it's always there. And, um, and I think lots of those... I think there's evidence of those former football league clubs in that. I just thought you made a really good point earlier as well that I wanted to sort of tap into. I feel that I think when we're sort of discussing non-league, I think it's obviously very easy to get caught up in sometimes some of the things that are presented as twee and presented as sort of, you know, homely, the kind of that kind of experience. But I think it's important to, to, to assert that, you know, it's not, do you think it's not really about sort of Premier League fans versus non-league fans? Like, you, they don't. There doesn't have to be sort of two sides of a two sides of a large coin, you know. I mean, I think I, I sometimes feel that you know, if you're watching a team and your number nine earns two hundred and fifty thousand pounds a week and has image rights in his contract, compare that to a number nine that maybe at a lower step in non-league and he works as a personal trainer on the side. You know, neither sides of those um, kind of fans have to uh, have to sneer at each other. You probably are missing out a lot if you don't experience kind of both things. I mean, it's just it's not that you have to sort of embed yourself to one or the other. It kind of gives you more of sort of a rounded experience to kind of experience both of those kinds of football, really. Yeah, no, no I agree. I mean, the, the two things aren't antagonistic. They should, you know, they're part of the same overall picture. However, sometimes there isn't the overlap that, you you know, that certainly non-league would like so that, particularly during an international break, particularly whenever most non-league almost exclusively is played on a Saturday, whenever you've got um, a big championship club or a big Premier League club nearby and they're moved to the Friday or the Sunday, what those non-league clubs hope for is a little kick uh, upwards in attendance and sometimes you can feel their disappointment that it hasn't arrived and that creates a kind of tension's a bit strong but you know it, it, it there's a little ripple there of you know I wish more people would so Darlington have Darlington are very uh, focused on the fact that they nearly went out of existence so what they want is above everything is to be is to exist and to play and to have a club in their town. That's the, that is their primary aim every day. Uh, and if they're successful, great. But if they're not, they're still there. And that is uh, that's an element of it that's that's part of the attraction, but also part of the difficulty of of that of that of constantly needing money. You're listening to the Athletic Football Podcast and we're going to chat a little bit more with Michael after the break. Um, We're going to talk about some of the outdated non-league stigmas. Uh, Stay with us. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Michael, you mentioned at the top as well that, that you're you're from Newcastle. You live in Newcastle, sorry. Um, so, do you think, obviously, with with what's happened in the last few days and the takeover there, and potentially some of the pushback and some of the reaction, 
Do you think there is perhaps a growing movement within that local area to expand a little bit more and move away from Newcastle United? I, I, I would really hesitate to, to say that that is going to happen. I think what we've just said about the excitement that exists at Wrexham um, and Grimsby after successful takeovers you know, clearly exists on the street amongst a large percentage of Newcastle United fans. So the idea that they're going to, um, you know, transfer some of that excitement into non-league on the Saturday that they're not at home is, that might be wishful thinking, on, you know, on behalf of uh, non-league clubs. You you just don't know. I know it's a terrible answer, but only time will tell. No, no, definitely. I mean, I think I think there's something to be said for the pride of having phone, fan ownership. And I think what was so, what a lot of people found really intriguing about the reaction to, the, from the Newcastle fans to the takeover is this, we've got our club back sort of motto. When yeah. obviously if you're owned by a private company or a consortium or whatever it may be, I think one of the one of the people in your piece referred to it as the sugar daddy approach. So if you're owned yeah. by a sugar daddy, um, do you really have your club? And actually I can imagine it's really enticing for a lot of fans to actually go somewhere where you do have a stake. Yeah, I, I think that's true that, um, lots of fans feel that connection more intimately, obviously, whenever they are actual shareholders. Uh, and, you know, the Newcastle Supporters Trust um, were trying to build enough money to buy a share from Mike Arsley. I think in, in Newcastle's case, we have to remember that there was this sense of um, uh, liberation, if it's not too strong a word, um, for... Uh, for whenever Mike Ashley left, so the, the so people who have felt um, just uh, as if they're treading water for fourteen years suddenly had a sprint, you know, because he had left. So it's it's tied up with the, the initial reaction is certainly tied up with his departure. So whenever they say they've got the club back, it means they they feel like they've got it back from him because it was very much his club. They feel they've got some. Um, ambition returning to the club. That's that's what they mean by that. Whether they'll feel like that in twelve months, we'll have to see. You know, and how and how the decisions go. Whereas at your non-league club, if you do own shares, then you you actually do. You know, you have a physical ownership as well as an emotional ownership. So that is that is different, but but it is also on a much smaller scale, and we need to we need to remember that um you know i was trying to think like if you if you if you put, took the top 10 attendances in the premier league you know it would take all of non-league probably to match that you know or, or and maybe a couple of other divisions you know so we have to be aware of that of the context of it but that does that isn't to reduce it or to reduce its significance it's there every week you know and there are hundreds of these clubs and it's just I, Dan mentioned random, but it is just that kind of um, variety of of experience and the variety of these clubs. You know, it's just w- one thing I will say is that, like, whenever I went to the the uh, the closest club to me, that was a fiver in, but Halifax v Notts County was twenty one pounds. Wow. Darlington um, v Hereford was fourteen pounds. So, especially twenty one pounds is not. It's not a sort of cheap, it's mm. not the cheap option, mm. you know, and especially if you're a travelling fan who've come from Nottingham. So your day has cost you a fair bit. 
Um, and also, I mean, you you really sort of bedded in with a lot of these fan groups. So tell us a little bit about what might make them different to fans of, of other clubs in other divisions. I mean, is there a unique a- aspect to the non-league fan that, that makes them stand out? Everyone who travels. I, I, I do, you know, Kevin Miles called travelling fans, um, fans, home fans squared. And I keep going back to the word commitment, that kind of um, effort and commitment to go to wherever, you know. So if you are, but especially if you're geographically remote. So the amazing thing to me, you know, are Plymouth Argyle fans, the length that they go to, Sunderland at the other end, Newcastle at the other end, and then you've got Swansea. You know, it's a long way from, you know, I was always surprised how far it was from Swansea to Cardiff. Never mind to get, you know, to get into England and then and then you you know you get to Bristol and turn right or left and you've got another huge journey. And to then um replicate that on the way back when you've been beaten is really, you know, I that that's the kind of thing that makes makes me think that the endurance levels are are great. And it is enjoyable. Whenever I've done it with people, you know, with various fan groups, you know, it is enjoyable. Um, but there is that kind of uh, endurance element to it, and especially midweek, where you know you've got to go to work the next day. I don't know if it makes them unique. You're not motivated by success. That's one of the mm. things. You're not motivated by silverware and glamour or anything like that there, you know, or status. That's that's a good word that um, Hereford used. Um, you're not motivated by that. You're motivated by your local pride in your local team and that is and your sheer level of interest in how that team does like I was saying about those Bristol Rovers fans that's all on their mind you know they couldn't care about anybody else they wanted to know who Bristol Rovers were going to play up front not anybody else and that's that kind of focus and um, desire is really that's what I I find most interesting and, um, and really it's you appreciate it what do you think are some of the um, some of the stigmas that might sort of be out there about kind of non-league fans and, and non-league games? I mean, there's probably probably wrongly, you know, there's there's probably kind of a, a temptation for some people to label these hardcore fans and you know the fans squared that travel away is almost like you know real hardcore anoraks, really real kind of nerds of the game. And then you you got the football itself, of course. You know, there's probably some kind of uh, stereotypes of it being lump it football of it being rough and ready there's not going to be the technical quality that you get in the football league probably because most of these players dropped out of the football league at a young age but from what you've seen and, and you know in the games that you went to were these things true there is that train spotter um cliche about you know the, <laughs> the, the people who you know every ground you know the ground hoppers you know and yeah they are you see those people they they're people who turn up with plastic bags and you know and how they're eccentric uh, eccentric is the word you're looking yeah, for yeah. But, but, but like you get a, you get a handful of them yeah, at, at yeah. the game there were a handful at darling you know but maybe maybe five or six you know whereas there were 1500 others who would be described as normal in quotation marks you know so <laughs> so you know it's a, it's a very small percentage and that should not be the stereotype you know it is it is funny like whenever you go 
there was a, I don't know if it still exists, but there was a Twitter account called Non-League Bins, which was just photographs of bins at non-league clubs. There's non-league dogs is, as well, which is probably a cuter, sort of fluffier <laughs> version, but I, non-league bins <laughs> is good as well. <laughs> but like, it's really good. It's just funny. And yeah. like, that's, you know, you know, that's taking the mick out of yourself, you know, that, like people are, people are aware of their stereotype and what they're doing. But whenever you're, there's no way that Wrexham or Grimsby or Plymouth fans consider their clubs small. They they consider their clubs serious big time clubs, you know, and and they have to they have the history to prove it, you know. How can how can Notts County fans not be proud of of you know of who they are and the scale of their club, you know? That doesn't mean to say they don't sing that. That song that they sing is just about the wee bar. It was just ah, absolutely <laughs> no no football relevance whatsoever. It's just a brilliantly random song uh, about a wheelbarrow. You know, it's just fantastic. So those those kind of elements are really good. As to the football, that football at Halifax v Notts County was recognisable from football you watch on television at the top end. The days of um, Lumpet have, I think, have you know pretty much gone. And even even when you go quite far down to step eleven or whatever. There are teams playing it out from the back. You know, Guardiola has had an amazing impact on football through at every level. Also in non-league, you get a lot of ex-academy players who have been in Championship or Premier League academies. They've grown up playing this kind of football, and there was a few. There were a few of them. I mean, there was a lad playing for um, Halifax, Kian Spence, really lovely player. And I looked him up, and he had been he had been in academy at Middlesbrough, and you was thinking, yeah, I can see why, you know. And you can see that someone like him might be not have made the grade at at a particular level, gone down a level, and now is on their way back. And I th- I would say there's quite a lot of that going on in National League level, National League North and South. There's that kind of talent. You don't see that just booted football that. You, you know, I, I also think fans have changed and they might not tolerate that anymore, you know. And what, what do you think are some of the lessons that Premier League and, and other football league clubs could perhaps learn from some of the supporter culture and also from the way that these clubs are running themselves and engaging with fans? That's hard because, it, that's hard because one of the things that um, the non-league experience has um, and... The attendance below ten thousand has, whilst it's being very good in some cases, is that there's a, an intimacy there that there isn't mm. whenever you're part of a sixty thousand crowd, yeah. you know, um, or fifty thousand. And your expectations, you know, if you're in the upper tier at Stamford Bridge, for example, or at you know way up in the sky at Tottenham in Tottenham's new ground, I don't think you feel well. It'd be up to the individual fan, but whether I don't know if they would have the expectation that they're going to be treated in a way that the fans at um, Woking, for example, are going to be treated where there's a recognition. They may recognise people, you know, who are running, you know, the various elements of the club and they may be known to each other. 
But the sheer scale of those clubs, of Premier League clubs, means that you can't have that intimacy. The piece reflected what some people think about the Premier League, but the point of the piece wasn't to berate the Premier mm-hmm. League and Premier League experience. The, the, it was just to reflect that there's something else. You know, it isn't just all about this. You know, you can't, you couldn't have watched Liverpool v Man City and not been excited by it. It was absolutely brilliant, and the whole the whole thing was great. So the point was that yeah, that really was brilliant, and that was great. But the, so was the fact that. Grimsby took 1,251 fans to Altrin on a Tuesday night, and we should recognise that. Yeah, I think also, I mean, it's a similar conversation that I think many people have when it comes to women's football is there is a unique community around it. There's a unique connection between the fans and the players. um, And you, in many ways, can't recreate that on a bigger scale in the Premier League. But I wonder if there's ways that clubs can try and bring a bit more authenticity and and kind of local approach to things. I mean, we see it through marketing campaigns with the way that Arsenal and Tottenham certainly try and sell their football shirts. It's a very local approach and local identity and Chelsea do that as well. But it, it feels to me like there is there is a massive opportunity that lots of big clubs are missing by you know not nec- not partnering up with their local non-league clubs or or finding those opportunities to become a little bit more relatable to their communities. Oh no, I agree with that. You know, I, I think that's really um, even for even for a player or a manager mm. or a coach just to turn up now and again. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Just you know, say you know I, I'm just walking in. I'll just pay him a fiver and I'm coming in just to have a look. But then that's perhaps our expectation and it's perhaps unrealistic because these people are so hectic, you know, so during a football season. And if it is if it is manufactured by the club, then that's how it might feel. Mm-hmm. It might feel manufactured. Whereas whenever you're talking about partnering, that's a different thing. That's an actual, you know, relationship, you know, an official relationship. And that would be really good. It'd be really good for... They, they don't have to partner a club. They could partner a league. Mm. No, they could just put a bit of money into the league, you know, because, you know, they sometimes they don't realise how far a thousand pounds goes. Never mind ten thousand. Yeah, I think I think we saw that as well with the with the Super League. Is that so much of the rhetoric was about how important the entire football pyramid is to each other, and everyone is has a role to play in sustaining the entire system. But at the same time, sometimes it's hard to believe that because you see so little evidence. No, I, I agree. I, I think that is that is rhetoric. Michael, thank you so much for joining us today and talking through your piece. Really, really interesting. Um, and I know lots of people that went to non-league over the weekend for the international break. So hopefully they'll, they'll be returning in their spades as well. Thank you so much. Thanks very much. Dan, there's still time to point people in the direction of a couple of other great stories on The Athletic. Uh, what are some of the things that, that you've been looking out for? Yeah, well, one of the things I wanted to um, wanted to talk about really is obviously it's October and we're celebrating UK Black History Month. Um, we did this last year as well and we've got kind of a, a selection of articles that we're doing throughout the month. The idea of sort of Black History Month is to kind of just, you know, celebrate black figures in football, trying to tell stories that haven't sometimes haven't been told before or ones that you may have heard before with a different sort of angle or with new information. It's always important to say this, that black history is part of British history, but it's just kind of nice to have sort of a, a month where we can where we can focus on those people and focus on those stories 
And one of the pieces as well up on the website at the moment is called The Different Faces of Racism by Daniel Taylor, Don Fifield and a few others as well. Um, and it's all about some of the, the online cases of, of racism in football uh, and also the sort of battle in order to bring them to court and, and just how big the, the problem is in the sport. Yeah, it's a difficult one. I mean, with Black History Month, you know, there was an idea that, you know, we want to celebrate the best things about black people in football. That's kind of, that's the the point of the month itself. But at the same time, sometimes some of the kind of worst trauma that affects black footballers is part of the experience, which is kind of what the thinking behind uh, behind publishing this piece was. It explains from the courts themselves what happened with some of the people that have been handed jail sentences for racially abusing footballers over the summer um, or over the last year, should we say, really. It's brutal. It's not doesn't really flinch in the kind of things that were said. Um, and as well, even sort of uh, sort of looks into a case that involved some um, some really bad sort of anti-Semitism as well. But you can't shy away that this is sadly part of the black experience. We've all seen what's happened over the summer with um, the England players that missed penalties in the Euro 2020 final. We just felt it was important to kind of to highlight this really. It's going to spark debate because people being sent down and, and handed sort of jail sentences for racial abuse online is, is kind of a new phenomenon really. Mm. But that is something that is happening now. And it's important to kind of show what these people look like. Um, and then when I say what these people look like, it's kind of with the piece just has kind of a few screenshots, which are kind of mugshots uh, of the people that were the people that were prosecuted to just show you that this is this is kind of what they look like, but the kind of the feeling the the feeling that we want to that it kind of wants to wants to translate is that this is these these people could be anybody. This is exactly yeah. You know, I'm sure you remember rightly. You know, there was a there was a school. It was found that there was a school teacher that uh, that racially abused Marcus Rashford over the summer. So these yeah, these people could be anywhere, and this is kind of the things that uh, that affect footballers today. Yeah, I think it's, it's it's especially really important to, I think, move away from this. Oh, they're anonymous trolls or they're bots or whatever. It's just these people are real people and they exist in the outside of the digital world. Exactly, and it's something that, sadly, you know, black footballers today or footballers, um, you know, footballers of other races as well. Of course, it's not to say that it's all about it's all about black footballers, but they do have to deal with this thing and they do have to deal with this kind of abuse sometimes hopefully it was it was it wasn't easy reading but hopefully it was um it kind of painted a stark picture of of what racism looks like today um away from that kind of this uh, this month with with black history month you know there's lots of lots of great pieces that we've had go up already that we kind of are proud of uh, that have sort of celebrated different people um it was just to do a few other top of my head there was adam leventhal interviewed um a guy called matthew ogansanya who used to be watford's club doctor but just talking about his sort of journey into the medical world stepping away from football to help out during the pandemic and frankly dealing with some of the uh, some of the people who in certain walks of life are surprised to see a black doctor um there are a few other nice pieces that we've done we uh richard and mofa interviewed um wheelstone footballer medialito who's played in sort of the league one and league two for a few clubs in few, including cambridge and colchester and his kind of secret masked identity as a, a rapper called don ee um he used to actually rap with a mask on um and for a long time, 
he didn't tell his teammates about his sort of musical career until he was kind of unmasked in a Cambridge training session. Um, and, and that was kind of quite an interesting one. So yeah, there's lots of, lots of good stories and we're hoping to kind of keep bringing these, um, bringing these tales to people throughout the month, um, just to shine a light on those, on figures who are inspirational, figures who are interesting. And, you know, ho- hopefully we can continue to do that throughout October. Yeah, and if you, if you want to read some of the articles that Dan's mentioned, go to athletic.com um, and join us next week as we're going to be chatting uh, in more depth about some of the stories from the collection. And remember, you can read all that and Michael's writing in full and much more by subscribing today for just £3.33 a month. Just head to theathletic.com forward slash football pod. Dan, thanks so much for stepping in. I hope you enjoyed your uh, athletic football podcast debut. Is it your debut for this one? <laughs> it is. It is. Thank you. Hopefully, I'll. Um, hopefully, you can, I mean, do I get a cap or? Um, I'll chat to other Dan about that. Maybe, we, maybe he can get you some villa. He seems to have an endless supply of villa merchandise, so he could probably get you something. But I don't know if you'll want that. That's great. <laughs> I'm always happy for. No, no. I hope Dan obviously uh, gets well soon, and it's uh, happy to try and fill those very big shoes today. And uh, as always, yeah, we'd love to hear your thoughts on the pod. Please give us a review, comment, uh, you know, wherever you get your podcast. Please do give us some feedback and uh, we'll chat to you soon. The Athletic.